Hello and welcome to Food Focus, the podcast, where we seek to discuss, challenge, and learn about issues related to food. Be sure to check out our foodfocuswealth.ca website, where you can see previous episodes of the podcast, but also our regular blog and our annual trends report. We'd love to hear from you, foodfocus at uoldwealth.ca. My name is Mike Von Masso. I'm the host of the podcast and a faculty member in the Department of Food, Agriculture, and Resource Economics here at the University of Guelph. Today's conversation is one that sort of came out of some broader conversations that I've been hearing that talk about the need for farmers to be proactive and engaged in social media and that this can play a significant role in sort of engaging the public and shaping the understanding people have about food production. And I've also seen recently a lot of critiques of the fact that A, it's not working and B, it's not working because we're not doing it enough or we're not doing it the right way or, or whatever. So the question really is, is this a worthwhile endeavor for both individual members of the food value chain and particularly for groups that are trying to participate and shape opinion in that space. And I thought, who better than to talk to Christina Crowley-Artley, who is a digital communication strategist and has a company that advises people on how to participate in social media in order to get your message across. She's also a graduate of the U of G, much more recent than I, in fact, in the last 10 years, and has a particular perspective and passion for engaging in conversations of food. So, uh, without further ado, uh, here's my conversation with Christine. Well, today I'm having a conversation with Christina Crowley-Artley, I'm hoping I said that correctly, who I just met, uh, although we have interacted on Twitter a little bit. And she's here on campus this week to talk to a group of students about communicating digitally or in social media, particularly in the context of agriculture. So I thought, what a great opportunity to, to sit down and have a conversation. Christina, tell us a little bit about why you're here talking about yeah. social media. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Mike. Always exciting to have the opportunity to speak to anyone, whether it be a podcast, a tweet, yeah. any form of communication. And it's it's kind of special to be asked to come back to the OEC Dean's Luncheon this year yeah. to be the guest speaker, because this is our my graduating, my 10-year graduation okay. anniversary from being an 09 Bison. And, and ironically, just a few weeks ago, we had our class reunion mm-hmm. during College Royal Weekend. So we all got together and had a great supper, and it was wonderful to reconnect. Anytime I can get back onto the University of Guelph campus, I'm here. Yeah. Went to school here, stayed here in, yeah. in Guelph. If I couldn't be back home on the farm in Peterborough, yeah. on the dairy farm, this was the next best yeah. option. So, uh, yeah, and, and I'm really excited to share my perspective today with the students uh, about a really, I guess, what I call a very unique career path that I've had. And, and I'm kind of talking to them about this idea of like thinking outside the box, both in the way you think as, a, as an agricultural uh, industry, eventually they're all going to be working hopefully in the industry, but just also as a student here at the university and in their career to think differently and, and put themselves in a different box than sometimes we're asking our students to be put into. Mm-hmm. So it should share a, a different perspective with them today. Just quickly, I, I graduated from the University of Guelph not knowing where I was going to go. You didn't want to do the banker, seed or mm-hmm. sales didn't want to do necessarily some of the marketing in within yeah. industry. And so I actually went back to my summer job working for deputy minister in downtown Toronto as my first job out of university. Yeah. Commuted from Guelph yeah. every day on the bus. 
So did that. Which, that commute is getting easier now, but it would have 10 years ago, it Wild. would have been tough. Yeah, yeah, like two hours one way on the yeah. bus. But because I was, I, I knew that there was something, there was going to be eventually something that, that resonated with me for a career back yeah. in Ag. I just needed yeah. to kind of find what that yeah. was. One of my dream jobs was to work at Holston Canada and be their, their manager of kind of their comms editorial yeah. magazine shop. Yeah. And so eventually that job did come up after the lady had retired. Yeah. And so I, I applied for the job, ended up getting it. And so I then commuted from Guelph to Brantford yeah. uh, every day, which the back roads of rural Ontario. I did that commute for a while. Yeah. There's not a direct route. No, there isn't. <laughs> so I at least got my commute down to like an hour. Yeah. And loved my job. Really did mm. love working back in dairy, back with the farmers, you mm. know, going internally and working with them. And, and we put on the Royal Winter Fair Holstein show mm. and the annual convention for Holstein Canada. Mm. So really did love my job. Yeah. So I kind of had found my niche and found that I loved, really was passionate about communications. Mm. For some reason, did start kind of getting interested in politics. And then yeah. ironically, the Minister of Agriculture and Food, who got named uh, Jeff Leal, he was from my parents' home riding of Peterborough. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for a communications specialist and got the call from, from him and his chief of staff saying, did you want to come work at Queen's Park in provincial politics? And again, because I was kind of living out my dream job, had no anticipation that I was going to be leaving, but end up you know, jumping in yeah. and, and doing again. So then I went back to commuting to Toronto, yeah. from Guelph to Toronto every day hour and 45 eventually yeah. got down to one way but became his eventually press secretary and senior comms advisor for his four-year government mandate and Which then would have been an interesting job it was a fantastic job yeah. uh it, it's a job that I, I wish more people could experience working for mm-hmm. politicians you'd have a lot more respect i think for what they do uh and i think that's why i, I went to work for my minister because he was a wonderful human being first mm-hmm. politician second and he really did serve his, his mandate and the people of his home riding really really well so loved my job knew after the four year obviously that's the election cycle the people have the final say and so Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know this but when politicians when they lose in 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 a mandate the political staffers also lose their jobs yeah 400 people yeah Yeah. so it was a perfect segue for me to take my passion for communications agriculture and just this whole kind of transformational disruption i keep calling it in communications in the landscape and start my own company, which mm-hmm. is what I'm doing now under Crowley Arctic Strategy and Co. So okay. now I get to live and work and play all within Guelph and have a five minute commute to my office, which is nice. And it's that role that really brought us together today. Is, yeah. is your your focus in your company's digital sort of social media and other digital communication? Yeah. And so we hear a lot about the role social media can play in bridging the gap between sort of primary agriculture and the consumer. Yeah. Is that a realistic objective? Yeah. So I feel like I feel like we've been talking about bridging the gap between rural and urban for like I'm sure decades, but I yeah. I remember graduating and social media had just kind of started, yeah. not in the savvy way we're using it now. I mean, we were just using it to post pictures, right? Yeah. As students on Facebook. And and we were talking about bridging the gap then, ten mm-hmm. years ago. Have we did any better of a job now than we were, were we 10 years ago. I'm sure the metrics would tell you maybe we've moved the dial a little bit, probably not have did as much as we could mm-hmm. or be using social media in the way to really use, say, paid campaigns, social campaigns to really penetrate the audience. And I think because social media changes every day, it's hard for industry to kind of grasp how fast it moves and mm-hmm. go with it. You know, I think of when, when we first started on social media as an industry, we're, we were using it as like a, a networking tool. You know, hey, my neighbor's on social media mm-hmm. or this professor is on, and so on social media. 
And then it went to kind of a knowledge transfer tool. So, hey, what are you doing on your farm? Because mm-hmm. we're going to maybe put in robots. So you yeah. really saw farmers using it in that way. And I mean, farmers were quick adapters of social media. Like, yeah. really, people were you in farming were using it 10 years ago before the majority of the consumer that was using it in the way that they are now. And now you're seeing it as now we need to use social media as an education tool. And so talking in our same circles like we have been for the last decade isn't working in our favor, right? And I think we finally saw with a number of current events lately between USMCA trade deals and a food guide that perhaps didn't, you know, go in the way that we we wanted it to lean in our favor. Yeah. There's been these really big conversations with consumers that we've lost out on. Yeah. And now we're asking ourselves, why did this happen? I think we all know why we have to be talking to consumers. Yeah. They are driving our industry. Oh, very much so. I we always say them. you can't push a chain, right? Yeah. We have a supply chain. The consumer decides where that chain goes. Yeah. We, we can't push. Yeah. There's a few things you said there that I'd like to get. Is it reasonable to use social media? Is it a reasonable objective to say we will interact with consumers and at least be able to tell our story? Is that Or are there these cocoons of communities. So there's not, use one example, there's not a Twitter community. There are millions of Twitter communi- communities that, that interact with each other, but but maybe not that much bridging in between. So is, the, is it reasonable to say we can affect change or at least facilitate a conversation using social media? So I, a lot of people address the time constraint. A lot of mm. people who aren't on social media say, I'm not going to go there because I don't have the time to do it. Mm. I'm not getting paid to do it. And I also don't want to get into the weeds of the, the negativity that can be attached to social media. Because, I mean, if there's anything that politics taught me, it's like to have, you know, a very thick layer of skin, like yeah. 25 inches deep. <laughs> so that is kind of how social media is too. You have to know when you're when you're getting into it, what could be the potential fallout from it. Mm-hmm. And then in saying that, because I'm a person who actively promotes social media, both in my job and my business, mm-hmm. but as a, a, an active user mm-hmm. myself, you have to be there to know what conversations are going on. Because if you're not, you can't say, I know what consumers are talking about, or I know to how to affect change. Because if you're not using social media, you are active on what the trends are. I am a huge advocate of face-to-face and, and word-of-mouth. There's nothing that will replace that, that person interaction. But you also are behind if you're not on social media. And I'm just thinking from a, from a corporate standpoint, from a brand or business standpoint, even, even executives. Mm-hmm. You're seeing every major company, if their CEO is crisis management, where's the first place to go to? Social mm-hmm. media, right? Twitter now is our, yeah. our news conduit. So... You have to be on it, in, and so at least you know if you're on it, then you you could be found by a consumer, but then it's how we're using it in the right strategic ways to get to that consumer is kind of, I think, where we're at as an industry. We've addressed that we need social media. We know why we need it. Yeah. It's the how yeah. of how to use social media, and I'm just thinking of influencer marketing. I don't even know if our industry knows how powerful influencer marketing is to yeah. especially this millennial generation of consumers. You have, we have to know how to use it, know how much money to invest in it, and execute these influencer campaigns in the right way to get to talk to the consumers who are listening to their peers more so than industry commodity organizations. It's, it's interesting you talk about, you know, it's almost table stakes to be there. Because many people, you know, I've talked to people who said I've gotten off the noise, but I've had lots of experience where it's, it has introduced me to people from a broad range of perspectives. Like and, you and, and I. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But, but yeah. also, I mean... 
you know, people have found me and funded research because uh, they say, oh, Mike is talking about this on, on social media. And, and I hear where you're coming from on the thick skin. I've also had some trolls Part disagree <laughs> vociferously with me. And, yeah. and, you know, you sort of get to know the degree to which you interact or the degree to which this is spiraling out of control and you just stop and say that's their prerogative. Yeah. So it can be frightening. It can be daunting. It, like you say, it can be time consuming. And the benefits are often incremental mm-hmm. so that you might not say on a day-to-day basis, oh, God, I've, I've influenced a bunch of people. Yeah. But the fact that you have the opportunity to get the question. Is the first, getting your foot in the door. Yeah. And I think, you know, it isn't about numbers. And I know, I think that's probably the most valuable thing with social media is is the metrics that we get attached to it. You know, it's not like a TV ad where yeah. you could spend a million dollars and not know how many eyeballs the TV yeah. ad landed on. That that's probably the, the biggest advantage with social media is it opens doors to people you would have never got the chance to talk to it to begin with. But then yeah. secondary, you get data to support your decisions. And so it's not about, you know, getting on Twitter tomorrow and having a thousand followers or yeah. you know, having a following of two hundred thousand people on, yeah. on Instagram. It's about the genuine engagements that you're going to have. And and you know, so if you can have, say, a click-through rate that you can finally measure back to your website as a business, or you can see how people are what content resonates, that's valuable data and information that we get for free now that mm-hmm. we never had before. And so I think of that, I mean, when I'm doing a lot of the training, which is what the first part of, of social media as an executive, as a business, as a brand, you have to be trained well. You can't just think you're going to just open up a Twitter account and think you can know how to navigate it. Um, and that's, I guess, where where I knew that there was business to be done in what mm-hmm. I do, because all of our board of directors in NAG should be trained on social media, not necessarily to how to use it, like if they don't, if they don't want to use it, they don't have to. Mm-hmm. But at least be be listeners. Have a have a profile where you don't have a you know your photo, but be listening. Be listening to what your farmers are saying. Be listening to what the average consumer could be saying, because that's valuable research and information mm-hmm. that you could have to make the right decisions as a as a board, um, yeah. as a brand, as a company. Listening is the most valuable skill as a communicator. It's not about how much I'm talking. Yeah. It's about listening. That's I'm really learning uh, as a business owner is your most valuable asset. Yeah, so that's that's interesting because one of the things I, w- I was hoping we'd have a chance to talk about is I think too many people think of it as an outbound communication. Totally. And sort of ignore everything else. And really, from my perspective, the value is, and you've articulated it as, as listening, to me it is not communicating to an audience but engaging in a conversation. Yeah, yeah. And so... How do we get there? Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I don't have, I've never did the stats on my own Twitter account, which I should go back through. A majority of my Twitter following and people who I follow maybe don't come from the agriculture sector. A lot of them are political pundits, yeah. news journalists, uh, friends, because I do have a network that is outside of the agri-food yeah. sector. Yeah. And so because I have that variety of audience of people who I follow, on a day-to-day basis, I hear so much, like, I guess, gather perspective outside of agri-food, and that serves me you know, as an asset, certainly yeah. as a business owner and as a, as a communicator back into the industry. I think if a lot of us took the time to look at our Twitter followings and, and Instagram followers, we'd realize we're all 
talking to the same the same bubble and circle. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I had this thought. I was in Toronto. I was in there often for work. And I was in there two weeks ago. And I had my my meeting in the afternoon. He had to cancel. He got the flu. Yeah. So I had the afternoon. I had to wait to the GO train at, yeah. at 4.30 to go to get out back to Guelph. And so I actually ended up sitting in a coffee shop. And I, I went for lunch first before that. But hearing what people are talking about and just sitting there and taking that in, I thought to myself, how many people in our food sector come to downtown Toronto and just sit there? You know, don't come for a, a Leafs game or a yeah, Jays yeah. game or to take in the yeah. Ripley's Aquarium. Yeah. You know, if we expect consumers to come out to our farms and learn about our industry, what are we doing to penetrate their lifestyle? It gets it gets to the point, it drives me nuts when someone says the average consumer is, you know, three generations disconnected from the farm. Well, the reverse is true too. Totally. Right? The average farmer has no idea how people think, how, you know, what's important. And that, and that becomes important context, not yeah. just in, in sort of telling our story, but in making long-term decisions. And I guess that's where I, I you know, I, I could be seen as an outlier in some of the ways that I think. And, and But that's what I'm trying to promote to the students today is about thinking differently. Because, you know, as much as we can blame consumers, I also want to, as an industry, make sure that we look at ourselves first and realize what are we doing that perhaps didn't work with the consumer's way of communicating and thinking. Mm-hmm. And what can we do better first to kind of rebrand ourselves as an industry before we go back out collectively with one main message? I really mm-hmm. think that's what we need to start doing. And go back out and talk to the consumer. You know, a rebranded, it, we can't just lay the responsibility on the consumer. It has to happen internally first. You yeah. know, it's kind of the what comes yeah. first, the chicken or the egg. And I think it was a, a conversation re- recently that I had with an industry professional. And he said, you know, I don't know why the 98% of consumers just don't understand, you know, about agriculture, why they're just not getting it. And I said to him, well, maybe it could be the 2% that aren't thinking about what they're doing. You know, why do we put that responsibility on the 98% when there's only 2% of us? Yeah. So I think it's just changing our way of thinking that we really have to as communicators kind of look internally as an industry to see what we're doing that we can take the responsibility before we go back out to the consumer. It's interesting. I was speaking a couple of years ago at an event in southern Saskatchewan to a bunch of cow-calf producers. And a guy got up in the back of the room and said, Damn it, Mike. Why won't these people just listen to the science? And I looked at him and I said, Before I answer your question, let me just ask you, what kind of truck did you drive up in today? And I don't remember what it was, you know, one of the major brands. I said, What was your last truck? What was the one before that? And they were consistent, right? He bought the same kind of truck every time. I said, what color is the equipment on your farm? And then I said, show me the science that those are the best trucks and that is the best equipment. And I'll hold the consumer to the exact same standard. We all make irrational decisions. And so... It comes back to loyalty. It comes back to loyalty and it comes back to perspective. What's important to us isn't necessarily what's important to that person. And, and, And the way we communicate becomes important. And so, I mean, and we're, we're living through that we're seeing just with the current events and the current political landscape we're living through right now in many countries around the world and just the way marketing is going, where it's going with influencer marketing, it's trust over truth. And I know that that kind of that message was shared last year at the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity Public Trust Summit was about the idea that millennials trust their peers more than they're going to ever going to actively search out science on a product. So if you can penetrate that consumer by talking to an influencer Mm -hmm. who could have that, 
you know, that relevancy to that consumer. I'm thinking of my group of friends. I have friends in agriculture. I have friends outside of agriculture. And they, my group of, you know, non-farm urban friends, they know that I'm the person to go to anytime they have a question to ask about food. Mm -hmm. And so I'm lucky to have that relationship with them, but also that they put that trust in me that I'm the go-to foodie for them, right? So it's it's a changing landscape, but also the second part to that is that we should look at it as an opportunity. Consumers are actively, they're all foodies. Millennials now, who's the largest cohort of purchasing power generation, they are foodies. They want to know where their food comes from, how it's made, where it's harvested. That's a huge opportunity for us, but we were almost behind in the eight ball because they were asking these questions, you know, a few years ago, and now we're behind the times of what way to talk to them, what message to tell them about And I think to a degree, it's also having the courage to realize that sometimes they're not going to like what we say. And I think that that affects so many of us to get out there. And it's one of the areas I differ a little bit from from some of these people who talk about trust is I think we're, we're actually pretty trusted already, but people have no idea what we're doing. And we say, well, let's not talk about it because they might not like it. The truth is someone's out there talking about what we're doing. And if we're not saying anything, we're not part of the conversation. My conservative agri-food friends remind me all the time that you can have differing opinions on politics yeah. and that you can still be friends at the end of the day. I mean, that's yeah. just empathy. Yeah. I, I don't, uh, if someone wants to disagree with me, that I'm totally fine with that yeah. as long as we can have it as a very a very reasonable, respectful yeah. conversation. And that's exactly how we should look at our, our agri-food opportunities here with the consumer. And I think it was working in downtown Toronto every day. That's what reminded me so many times when someone say a fellow political staffers or industry people I was meeting with yeah. in downtown Toronto, they'd say, oh, what, what minister do you work for? And I'd say, I work for the minister of ag. Yeah. They say, oh, you work for the Ottawa general, you know, that's, that's yeah. great. And they'd yeah. say, oh no, sorry, I work for the agriculture, agriculture food and rural affairs minister. Yeah. And so it just, it reminded me constantly that I'm, you know, I'm living my own bubble that I, I think that everyone knows what ag yeah. means. Yeah. Downtown Toronto doesn't even know what ag means. So even just the wording, the words we're using, it's not just about science now. I'm, I'm talking about like the content that resonates, words that we can use. Right. Do, you know, does words like precision agriculture, does ag, advocate, sustainability, yeah. do those words even penetrate with the consumer? Most likely not. not. So we have to find the most basic of language to talk to the average consumer. In a context that's In relevant. the context that's relative to their lifestyle. And I, I think that's part of the biggest part that I, as a millennial mom, I have my sons too, and I often think when I'm working with brands, the reason why I know how to how to work with them is because I'm the consumer they're trying to target. Mm-hmm. I'm the millennial mom who goes to the grocery store and is asking questions about her products, even though I'm a loyal agricultural dairy farmer's daughter, yeah. I'm even asking questions. So if I am, imagine what someone from and you're doing it from a, a better foundation because you have a much better sense of what of people knowing, do. Yes, of, of, of knowing of what, what's what effort there. was put into you know growing and raising that product. And I think of milk as a perfect example. My son, he thrives in it. Yeah. So uh, you know, I keep thinking, uh, you know, we could promote actively to millennial moms about the health benefits to keeping your child living. Literally, mm. when Blake's sick, he only drinks milk. Yeah. Living on milk, but yet millennial moms, I'm sure, asking about all those questions about. Well, I'm not sure we should be drinking cow's milk, and yeah. and what are the health nutritional benefits? Are there hormones? So we have a lot of opportunity. We have, we have a ton of opportunity, ton and of I think, and despite the fact that there might be some things that people don't love. I also think we have a profoundly good story. Absolutely. And again, that gets to the conversation. If we don't participate in the conversation, if we don't take risks that someone says, you know, I'm not so sure about that. And we've seen some examples. You know, we can argue about the science around gestation crates or battery cages all we want. At some point, some of those responses are visceral. 
and we might say, well, we'll have to, and, and we've seen the industry say, okay, we'll make changes, we'll, we'll, we'll make adjustments. Those things are going to happen, but, but for the most part, we have a profoundly good story. If you go onto farms and look at the passion with which these people are producing and, and the practices they're doing, I, I think 99% of it is, you know, is a good news story. And, and perhaps we've paid too much attention because we, maybe we didn't know how to navigate social media in the way yeah. that we should. We paid too much attention in the last five to 10 years on animal activists. Yeah. They're a very small, loud, but small yeah. minority of people. We're never going to change their minds. They can eat the way they want to eat and live. Yeah. I have no problem yeah. with that. They That's can't tell me product. how to live. Yeah. That's their product. So I, my focus is on that, as I call it, the silent majority of consumers in the middle. The people who are like my friends who are from communities across Ontario. You don't, you don't have to be from urban Ontario yeah. anymore. You can be in a small town and not know as I you know, visit <laughs> yeah. home, my small town community of Hastings often, and just being at the coffee shop and here, these people don't know about how their food is made and just the connection. Uh, so we have a lot of opportunity, but we need to work with the silent majority of consumers in the middle who are maybe not even asking questions, but at least are sitting there on the fence listening. Mm-hmm. You can be swayed either way. And we need to be very you know, smart and strategic in our marketing approach to them. But we need to be there. But, but be- we need be- to be there. Be- oh, because yeah, because I- those, the, the other voices are there regardless. Yes. And if you're silent... It doesn't mean the conversation doesn't happen. It yes. just means it happens without you. Yes. So, so I mean, I, I often think of that, that, you know, follow some, for some advice for some people who are, because again, back to how, how do we start doing things differently? I think a lot of marketing teams within our agri-food sector are going to have to start working collectively on their marketing campaigns, but be very smart in, in the dollar values that they're spending. You know, you can do a lot with $50,000 in social media in a paid campaign, yeah. but does our industry know how to even do a, a social media paid campaign? Yeah. It's not just organic social media. That gets your foot in the door. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm already past the point. You have to be on social media. I, yeah. That was yeah. five, ten years ago. Have to be there. But second of all, yes, you can use an organic strategy around your social media. But then it's the pay that's going to get you really penetrating the eyes that we need to start, the eyes and ears that we need to start yeah. listening and hearing from our, our story. And then there's just some unique things. You know, we think of what, if we do egg chats once a month, as yeah. an example, what other health industry groups or other lifestyle consumer brands are doing chats that you can start participating in yeah. and then all of a sudden they check back on your Twitter feed and you know you just happen to be a farmer mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they kind of start following you because of you participated in their their chats. Like we, we really need to get smarter of how we're using our social media and our time on it. Are there I mean you don't have to name specific names. You could give me some examples. What's it take to do it well? Or are there examples that are of people who are doing a good job of it now? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time when I'm working with my clients, the first thing I say is, is find some brands that are not in agriculture and food that you that you like what they do. And yeah. I and even I'm just thinking of that, you know, if you go to buy a coffee in the morning from whatever chain you enjoy, yeah. or you buy a certain product because you had a loyalty to that commercial that you saw on, mm-hmm. on your, your smartphone when it rolled by, think of what brands you that resonate with you well. And then usually it's a strategy session around what, what did, how do they make you feel? Yeah. What type of emotion did they pull out from you? What type of language were they using? Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's what social media platforms are going to get you your best value. You don't need to be on everyone. Yeah. If it's just Instagram, that's going to penetrate that millennial mom. That is your main target audience. Yeah. Work on one target audience and then go to that platform. That's going to get you the best bang for your buck. And, and then work on, on finding a campaign that's going to look attractive. Mm-hmm. It's a word I keep, and I don't want to use the word sexy, but yeah. agriculture does need a rebrand of, of looking more attractive. Yeah. 
and I know that's something at the University of Guelph, and we're dealing with that in terms of pipeline issue, yeah. recruiting students into the agricultural program to then, you know, serve our industry because we, you know, for every, what is it, one of four graduates, there's a job out there, yeah. but we don't have the students to fill them because we have only been perhaps circling within our own industry. So how do you make a person in, in Mississauga, a student at 15, feel that the, you, you want to have them come work for us in agri-food? Yeah. Um, so it's getting a bit of a, a, an attractiveness around our industry that we're really going to need. I would love to see a campaign like that if we all put our dollars around that. It's, and it's, then execution. It's, yeah. Execution and the follow-up of engagement. You can't just put out a you know an Instagram post and going to see your likes you have to engage within 15 minutes after a post is up uh, because that gets you higher in the algorithm i mean this whole algorithm and big data that's the that's the part that really makes your your campaign either successful or just just a campaign yeah so it's interesting and i'm mindful of time i have to get you over to the luncheon but you struck something to me this issue of attracting people to the food industry and and i've had this discussion with odin about saying you know, we need to define the food industry a little. Like OAC needs to think a little bit more about not just you're going to be a farmer or you're going to, you know, remember at the beginning of you said I didn't want to be in seed, I didn't want to be a bank and, and those sorts of things, is get people who understand the food production process up at other stages of it, working in digital communications. Provincial working, politics. Working in provincial yeah, politics, yeah. working for a grocery store, working and really not only getting people from urban centers to come here and more and more of our students aren't from a farm background. Yeah, love it. But getting people from farm backgrounds to be working in other industries so that we really get not only that cross-pollination of ideas, but really a broader sort of sense of interaction and communication. Yeah. And again, I think that that starts with a bit of that rebrand internally to see ourselves differently. And I mean, if, if there's ever time to be asking why, why not now, it's now, right? I, I can't believe the amount of disrupt, I keep calling it transformation disruption that I'm seeing in the last 10 years since I graduated. Like there's so much change. And even mm-hmm. I, I don't like change. Like mm-hmm. I call myself an old soul millennial. Uh, so I've had to learn every day to adapt to the new Twitter download and the new way of that politicians communicate it's changing so quickly. So if there ever is a time now to ask ourselves in industry, you know, how can we change to adapt? The time certainly is now, but it's got to start with a rebrand within with our own mindset first before we can ever ask the consumer to change the way they think about agriculture. And I mean, we're, we're so fortunate. We're, we're, a, we're a have industry. We're always going to be in business because everyone needs to eat. We're so lucky. And, and I mean, I, Andrew, my husband, and I, we, we laugh every day that he's in real estate, I'm in food. So we'll hopefully always have jobs because yeah. that's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But we can't take that for granted either. We have to, you know, as the consumer changes, we, we're going to have to change. And so I think that's the, probably my main message today is, is we got to look at changing our mindset before we can ever go out and using communications and social media to talk to a consumer. But there's a so ton of So before we speak, let's fine tune what we have to say. Absolutely. And, and, Fine-tune our message. Yeah, and part of that is starting online to hear what people are saying. Yeah, and, and I know I, I'm in communication, so I'm obviously biased towards communication, but I, I even think from when I graduated to now, how valuable communications is coming. And I, I often reference this with all of my clients within agri-food. How much money do we spend in agri-food on research and innovation? How much money do you think we spend in communications? I don't actually have an exact number. I'm sure it'd be a hun- you know, hundreds of millions of dollars compared to, you know, so we just... Until we see the value in it, you're not going to need the next new plant variety or seed variety if you don't have a consumer who actually wants your product or a country that wants your product. So that's where I, I think we, we're going to have to ask our, our agriculture industry to change even just the way we see communications. Mm-hmm. It's got to be as valuable as the next seed variety. Mm-hmm.
Because if you don't have any consumer to buy that seed, yeah. why did you invest the money in research innovation? So it's just another message too for me to, to plant out there and plant another seed. So bottom line, before I let you go to your luncheon, is we need to be there. Walk before you run. Yep. And think about how you interact. Training, certainly training will, will help you get out to know how to use social media in advance. But then, then we can fine tune our message and, and talk to consumer the way we really need to. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me, Mike. We wrap up another episode of Food Focus. I thought I would just take a quick moment to thank Molly Gallant, who really does the heavy lifting in producing this podcast. She does all the hard work. I get to have the interesting discussions. Thank Zachary Von Massow for the original music. Before we go, I'd like to remind you again about our foodfocusguelph.ca website. Check out our blog, updated at least weekly. Check out previous versions of the podcast. Check out our trends report. And get in touch with us, foodfocus at uoguelph.ca. We'd love to have you send us comments, ideas, suggestions, and just to interact and hear what you're thinking about. Finally, if you like the podcast, please take a moment to rate us wherever you get your podcast as this helps other people find us. So thanks again. Hope you enjoyed it and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.